Amen. All right, Eden. You smashed that. You smashed that. Amen. Smash and grab. Welcome to City Hill. Um, we're about line up our world so that people fucking God can find life in Christ. If you haven't filled one out before, we have a we're so glad you're here card because we are so glad you're here. If you fill it out, we've got a gift for you. Relax. We don't take an offering on a Sunday morning. There'll be no awkward bucket moment. Our giving is online in secret. We have wonderful givers here who make this possible and that is absolutely awesome. And today we are going to be kicking off today's talk about inheritance. We're talking about inheritance. So what we're going to try and do today is I'm going to try and cram in a ton of information into a short period of time. The reason for that is because sometimes when we come to the subject of like our inheritance, we don't actually appreciate kind of what it actually means to receive our inheritance that God has for us. I think so often we think it's like, man, I speak to so many people who are like, oh man, I had this I had this God dream, I had this God vision, and they're telling me all about it. Then a few years later I see them, and they were like, oh man, I'm not doing that anymore. And I'm like, why are you doing that anymore? And it was like, oh, you know, it was just, it was just so tough, man. Like, if, if it's God, then it's gotta, be, it's gotta be easy. It's gotta be like, you know, it'd be easier than that, it'd be smoother than that. And I'm just looking at them, and I just wanna like slap the hell out of them because they need to they need to understand at some point that actually anything God calls you to isn't going to be easy. It isn't going to be smooth sailing. Um, if you can tell me anyone in the Bible that gets a call from God and their life is not hugely inconvenienced and they do not go through hell on earth until they see it fulfilled, hit me up. Let me know. If you can give me one name, just one name, I'd appreciate it because um, it would just be so helpful for me to learn. So anyway, and I mean that sincerely. So we're going to be starting with Abraham. Abraham is where kind of like this whole inheritance thing comes back to. It comes from him. It comes from his story. So it starts off with Genesis 12 verses 1 and 2. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And to whom it dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So the inheritance to Abraham is this place. It's a nation that's going to be built and... The, the children of Israel have always kind of like taken this thing about the nation, the land, and that's so, so, so key. But actually, the most important inheritance that Abraham gets is, I'm going to bless you so you can bless the nations. So the key thing we want to take away today is whenever God wants to bless you, it doesn't end with you. So if anything you're seeking after, you think like God's going to bless you with that for you. I hate to break it to you this morning, but it's not actually about you. And it's never been about you there's something bigger he wants to bless you that the blessing flows out from you so Abraham inconveniences himself hugely he leaves behind his family he leaves behind everything he knows his way of life his people the way that they understood things a lot of different tribes had this understanding that the dirt was where you were was ruled over by a particular God so leaving that place following after this God in this unknown place was a huge thing for Abraham and then we have flowing on to his son Isaac so in Genesis 26 we, we hear do not go down to Egypt dwell in the land of which I shall tell you travel in this land and I will be with you and I will bless you for to you and to your offspring I will give these lands and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all of these lands and in your offspring all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So he's like saying the same thing to Abraham, but slightly different. There's a few little differences in there, but it's the same blessing again. It's the same promise again. It's the same inheritance again. I'm going to bless you. There's going to be this people. It's going to spread. They're going to multiply. And 
all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And he goes, because Abraham obeyed my voice, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes and my laws. The next, it follows down. So it's going down this lineage. So at the moment, it's going down a family. And God said that through Abraham, through his seed, and he said he will bless him, bless his family, bless his descendants, but he will bless all the nations of the world. And it's transferring down. So then Jacob in Genesis 28, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Notice he's even there. He's even in the land. And God still doesn't give it to them then. He's laying on the land that God is promising. And he still doesn't get it. He has to move on with his life and carry on from there. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south. And in you and, you, in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So he's like, I'm going to be with you this whole way. I'm going to be, I'm going to be here with you and this is the promise that I have for you and wherever you go, I will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I've done what I've done. And he says the same thing that through them, all the inhabitants of the earth, all the families of the earth will be blessed. But then when we look at Jacob, he has these 12 boys that break up to become the 12 tribes of Israel because Jacob gets this amazing name change that we looked at a couple weeks back. And he has one of these kids called Joseph. And we know Joseph, he has some pretty sweet garms. His other brothers, other siblings were jealous of the garms that he had. They didn't get the same one in their Christmas stocking. They're a bit upset about that, a bit miffed. They get jealous of him. They end up hearing about his dreams. Oh yeah, bad down to you, we'll see about that. They, how about that? Catch me outside, how about that? That's where that comes from. Literally, in the Hebrew, in the story of Joseph, that's what the brothers say. They go outside, and as they're leaving, they're like, catch me outside, how about that? And then Joseph gets sold into slavery. Yeah, 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 you do. She loves that line, jeez. Catch me outside, how about that? So, how about that? So then Joseph is sold into slavery, Things take a downturn, then things take a bit of a turn. He gets a bit of favor, it's going well, but then he gets accused of something that he didn't do, and then he gets thrown into prison, then he goes into prison, and it's not too great for him. It looks like life is peak for Joseph right about now. It looks like everything is failing right about now. It looks like this, this lineage, this promise isn't working out too good for him. These dreams aren't that hot anymore, and he's there, and then he starts answering these different dreams. One of the guys leaves. He tells Pharaoh that this guy in the prison can answer dreams. Pharaoh gives him his dream. Joseph interprets the dream. Joseph ends up being finding favor in front of Pharaoh, becoming the second most powerful man in the known world at the time. So he, he kind of um, goes through all that, becomes the guy who saves nations from starvation. Nations would have been left destitute, broken, beaten. They wouldn't be about anymore. He is used to save nations. So even here, we can see that what's been said to Abraham, his inheritance is happening. Through his lineage, the nations of the earth will be blessed. All these nations would have been destroyed in this famine, like seven years, no food. Destroyed, brought to their knees. And through this one guy, through this lineage, he blesses the nations. And then what happens is 
you know, he brings the family back there, they all settle there because he's like his kingpin, they all start living there. But then what happens is people notice the difference, they know, notice the different ethnicity over like hundreds of years past, and you Pharaoh's there, he no longer remembers the story of Joseph, he doesn't remember why this particular people group, this, people, this particular ethnic group living within their society is there, and he just ha- he has a problem with it, and he puts them in slavery. And it's no longer good for them anymore. So they're the ones that saved them from being wiped out as a nation. Now they're enslaved and in slavery. And this horrible, horrible situation unfolds. So we, we have to remember something, okay? God said, I will bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. And right now, these people, after a long period of, of this slavery, they start to forget whose God's name is. So Moses has been brought up with the traditions, though he grew up in Pharaoh's house, he had his actual family looking after him all these years, so he knew about the Hebrew traditions. And yet when Moses meets with God, he's like, who do I say that you are? The name of God had become ambiguous, had become forgotten because of the harshness of the reality of their lives. So even through this promise, when we look at this inheritance, there are so many different points where it's wavering. Why does any of this matter? And it's going to matter a whole lot more because I'm not done with this at all. There's more to this story, more to this flow. But time and time again, people come and talk to me about, like I said at the beginning, a God dream, a God vision that he put upon their heart, that he laid into them, that he gave to them, that he bestowed on them, that he entrusted in their hands. And things got tough and they tapped out. They tapped out and they quit way too early. Abraham never sets foot in that promised land. He never owns it. Isaac doesn't. Jacob lays on it for a moment and then he's gone. He doesn't get it. None of these guys get it. And then Moses is used in the most powerful way to liberate this people from slavery. But then once he's even freed them from slavery, once God has done amazing miracles and set this people free, they spend 40 years in the wilderness. So like there's a promise to Abraham and now we're in the wilderness for 40 years. They're going around and they're moaning and they're disobedient and they're not believing in their inheritance. And because they don't believe in their inheritance, because they don't submit to God, because they don't flow with him in what he's trying to do, 40 years is spent in the wilderness. And then when they finish in the wilderness and Moses dies and all of those that were in the rebellion die off and the new generation is ready to take the promised land, the inheritance is theirs for them. Finally... Joshua steps up. He's taken over. But there are still so many waste men that are looking and going like, oh yeah, but they're bad dench, isn't it? Like, I don't, I'm not really feeling this. I'm not really feeling that. And they have to like deal with that, remove those people aside, push ahead with what God has for them. There is seven years of conquest. Now, after all that I've said to you, after all the hundreds of years that have passed, there is now a further seven years of war to claim this land, to claim this promise, a land flowing with milk and honey. And then there's, in the book of Joshua, seven years of settling. So now just seven years of just settling, building the cities, finding their place, and getting all this order. Then we have the book of the Judges. God placing his people in charge and ruling over them. Then we have the people no longer wanting to be this distinct place where God has this vision, this idea that Abraham had of there being a a city and a nation and a people who's founded on God. They're like, we don't really like this whole unique thing too much. We've seen that the people next door, they've got Sky Plus and and we kind of want to have Sky Plus. They've got kings, we want to have kings. And so they're like, let's ditch this uniqueness that God is doing. We want to have a king. So they get a king. Israel gets 23 kings in the Bible. Judah gets 20 because the nation's kind of, there's a separate separation that happens gets 20 kings 
And then after all of that, they finally got this kingdom. They finally got it all there. You'd think this is it. They've, they've stumbled upon this inheritance. They've nailed it. No. They don't listen to anything he's doing. They don't follow anything he's got. They never experienced the true idea of what Israel is meant to be and what this promised land is meant to be and this inheritance is meant to be. And because of that, what the prophets say is that the Babylonians came and the prophets said, listen guys, you need to fix up. I'm telling you now, the Babylonians are going to come. They're going to move to you all because God is going to lift his hand in protection because none of you are wanting to roll with them. You don't want to roll with them anymore. You don't want to be with them anymore. That's cool. But when these guys move to us, they're going to take us away. All this stuff's going to happen. And the people are like, oh yeah, you're a waste man, man. I want to have loads of gods. Like, like what's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. And we're going to have all this relative truth situation. We have all these different gods in our houses. And then God's like, well, cool, you have all these different gods in your house, but not this God. <laughs> I ain't staying around for that. I'm done. I'm out. I'm backing out. Then they go into the Babylonian um, dispersion. And at this time, it's said that some of these periods are thought to be worse than what they experienced in Egypt in some way. Um, there was such uh, poverty. There was such brokenness. It talks about in Lamentations when there's these five poems expressing it, that there were women who ate their children. There were families who ate their children to survive. And then afterwards wished that they had died of starvation instead of eating their children because now they live with what had happened before. It's just such a hot mess and brokenness. And then during all this and with the kings and without the kings and, and, and this dispersion, all this stuff, there's the prophets and the prophets are basically these guys that God is speaking through that he's going like remember the promise remember what God has for us remember doing what's right remember what's just remember this kingdom remember this uniqueness this idea this vision and the people just don't listen and time and time again they go away and they go away and they go away and then after thousands of years there comes this moment where this part-time Jewish rabbi turns up and he has this saying that he goes around saying he starts saying like the kingdom of God is at hand it's within reach You've been talking about this inheritance all along. I'm telling you it's right here. I'm telling you it's just one reach away that, it, that you can reach out, that you can grab it, that it's straight there. And he shares this gospel and he shares this good news with them. And they look to him to be something different. They look to him to be something different. They, actually, no, they don't. They get it twisted again. They look for like a, um, a Davidic king. They look like a king to be like David. So they're looking at Jesus, and when it's coming to Passover and he's re-entering the city, they're all laying down like these branches, these palm leaves and stuff, and they're shouting out, Hosanna, Hosanna, son of David, set us free, set us free is what they're saying. And they're looking at him to go into the city, and the reason they're lying in the streets in the city is they think this is it. This is the king. He's coming. This is it. This is where it happens. This is where it kicks off. Rags us on. The Romans are going to get their asses kicked. This is the Messiah. And then as he steps in through the city gates, they expect him to go to the Roman garrison and lay smack down on all their candy asses. And that's what they're that's what they're expecting. But what happens is he turns the other way. He goes straight to the temple, picks up a whip, and they're like, oh, he's getting the whip. Here we go. Rags us on. The Romans going to get it. He walks into the temple. He starts whipping everyone and saying, "You've made my father's house a den of thieves." Because his kingdom is at hand, it's here and now. It doesn't matter that the Romans are in occupation. It doesn't matter that another people have them enslaved because for him, the freedom is beyond that. There is a people, there is an inheritance that transcends tribal groups and, and tribal mentalities. It transcends ethnicity, it transcends gender, it transcends class, it transcends all these kinds of, of, of divisions and, and categories that we place one another in. And so what would happen because of this is Jesus is then... A disappointment. They're shouting, Hosanna, son of David, and then he's a disappointment. And then they're shouting, crucify him, free Barabbas. We want Barabbas. We want the guy who's really going to fight the Romans. Crucify this you. We don't want him anymore. Duppy him. We don't care. We're done with this guy. And so then Jesus is crucified, 
and when he dies, it says, um, they will strike down the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And at this moment, all of his followers, they're no longer believing and trusting in him. They're dying, they're, they're moving away. I think only Johnny's kind of like sticking around or whatever. Um, Peter's denied him. All this kind of drama is, 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 is going on. But then there's this resurrection. And where's the resurrection? He gets the boys together and he lets them in on what's going on. And they, they break bread. They broke bread before he was crucified. And then you can imagine what it's like the next time they broke bread together as a group of believers, knowing that this is the resurrection, that this is the inheritance. Oh, this is what the other kingdom's about. And then they went around saying a saying that you and I say all the time in church. Um, well, actually, we don't say it too often here. I guess we don't say it as often, not because we don't believe it, but because uh, the terminology isn't, isn't too relevant. Like if we talk about Lord, then we think about lords and ladies, which is like an aristocracy kind of thing, like it's a class thing. And that's not what it's about. So they started to say Jesus is Lord. And the reason for that was what Caesar did during the occupation was a whole army would turn up to a town, to a city, to a nation, and the army would be there and they'd basically say Caesar is Lord. And either you would say Caesar is Lord or you're getting moved to and they're taking you over. So when you say Caesar is Lord, without anyone getting massacred, you would start paying these taxes to Caesar. The money would go to Caesar and there wouldn't need to be this bloodshed. And so what happened was Caesar was going around and it was like, well, you live for Caesar, you serve Caesar, Caesar is Lord. And then all of a sudden, this people started going around going, oh, no, 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 Caesar's not Lord. Jesus is Lord. You want to follow Caesar who breaks you for him? Oh, Jesus, Lord, his body is broken for you. That he takes leadership and turns it around. That, that his inheritance, he suffers that you might live. His body is broken. His blood is poured out. And they would break the bread. And so it wouldn't be just this Jewish tradition with Passover, but they would see actually that this, this Jesus is Lord is totally different from the idea and the notion of Caesar as Lord, where everything is about Caesar. But with Jesus, he bows low and he is broken. His body is broken and he, he rises again, that we might rise again, that we might find new life in him. And so Jesus had this statement. He said, I will build my church and the gates of Gehenna will not stand against it. I will build my church and the gates of Gehenna will not stand against it. And so then we really get to what our inheritance is about. Our inheritance comes down in, in Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying behold the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away and behold he was seated on the throne said behold I am making all things new also he said write down write this down for these words are trustworthy and true and he said to me it is done I am the alpha I am the omega I am the beginning I am the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters and all lies, their portion will be the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And it goes on to talk about 
in verse 9. Then came one of the seven angels who had seen the bowls full of the seven last plagues, spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance, like the most rare jewel, like like jasper, like clear as crystal. It had a high wall with 12 gates and at the gates, the 12 angels. And on the gates, the name of the 12 tribes for the son of Israel were inscribed. And on the east gates, on the north gates, on the south gates, on the west gates, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So it looks at like the 12 apostles, it looks at the 12 tribes, it, it connects it all together. It talks about it looking like a certain way and all these kind of imagery that it has for us. And this is our inheritance. This is the inheritance. This is what we're talking about. So this series, we're talking about inheritance. Well, well this is it. The whole way from Abraham was about finding a nation, the people, and, and, and so it was crafted and created by God. And this is it. And this is in Revelation, it all coming together where it actually happens, where it's not run by some waste man king who just starts all of a sudden getting trapped up in the money trap, getting trapped up in the, in the girl trap, with like a gazillion concubines and all that kind of stuff. It's not where he gets trapped up in all these different ideas of his own glory and his own selfish gain. It's, it's in a place where Jesus is Lord, where he is the king that was promised, but he is the king that's body is broken for us because Jesus is Lord. And that he says that he's going to build his church, his called out people, um, and it's church, no longer nation, because it's not an idea of it being passed down hereditary. It's not like a genealogy of a line, but it's that it's in him and it's all the people that he calls out, which is what Ecclesia means, called out for a purpose. And the purpose he's called us out for is for this. And as I say it so many times, but I just love saying Revelation 21 verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. When he says that, the only way you can really do it, like it's not, it's this romantic picture that we have when we read in the English language of like God just sitting there wiping away tear after tear after tear of your pain and that's not what happens in the Greek it says he will obliterate tears which I always love this because the only way I hear this verse in the literal Greek is with Arnold Schwarzenegger involved going I will obliterate tears from their eyes it's the only way I can read Revelation 21 verse 4 I can't hear it any other way I can just hear the spirit of Arnold Schwarzenegger crying out from Hollywood Um, and that's what it's about It, it is there he's obliterated it these are the things that are passed away you want to know what your inheritance is your inheritance is with Jesus your inheritance is that there will be no more tears of sadness for you there will be no more death there shall be no more mourning there shall be no more crying nor pain anymore the former things have passed away and he said that he's the Alpha and he's Omega he says the one who conquers will have this heritage it's for the one who conquers it's for the one who conquers. So I've gone through this huge lineage and this huge story spanning thousands and thousands of traditions in the space of like a couple of minutes and kind of compressed it in. And I hope to God I didn't just cancel that. Sweet. Um, and I've crammed that all in to as short a space time as I possibly could for one reason. Because at the beginning, I told you, I hear so many guys going, I got a God dream. I got a call from God that he called me to do this. He called me to do that. And then it got tough and it got dropped and it got ditched away. And yet I'm talking about, like, oh my gosh, you see what Abraham goes through. You see what Isaac goes through. You see what Jacob goes through, the stress, the anxiety. Yeah, and there, there are people along the way who are murdered. There are people on the way who are enslaved. There is a genocide of boys that are all killed of a particular age group because they want to marry the girls into their ethnicity to wipe away a whole um, ethnicity there's cleansing ethnic cleansing in there there's there's all sorts of suffering that continues on and 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 we see all of this all of this pain all of this hardship and it, it, it's it's all for God's glory in the end that there will be no more of these kind of things but yet when it comes to the call of God in our lives and we want to be blessed by God we're not willing to suffer anything for any of it 
And so when we have this idea of what God's calling feels like, we just, we miss it. We totally miss it. There's a point where Moses says in the journey, I wish I never came. I wish I never did this. It's worse for them than before I came. I should have left them with Pharaoh. People are really suffering now. I wish I never did this. But then you speak to Moses when he asked God for a sign at the burning bush. He said, I'll give you a sign. You'll be back at this mountain with everyone free. And Moses is kind of like carries on asking questions because he's ultimately saying to God in a respectful way, that's a really dead sign because that guarant- that's, that's on the idea that we're actually going to make it out. I like something now that gives me a, a sign that you're going to do something. Not that we're going to meet here on the side of this mountain, but they meet on the side of this mountain. And then if you ask Moses at that moment, was it worth it? Are you glad you came? He'd be able to go, oh, this old man was being tortured. This old man had to do bricks every day and he couldn't do it anymore. This girl here, she'd been abused. She'll never be abused again. We, we're, we're people now. We're, we're living in freedom. This, this, this child here would have been killed, would have never had its, its moment. Um, these people would have never had any hopes or dreams or aspirations. If you asked him then, he'd say it's totally worth it. Why does that matter? That matters because of us. That matters because I believe 110% this morning that God has a calling upon your life. And I believe that it's worth suffering for. And you may be in a point in your life where you look back at some of the things that have been said to you and you may feel like, that's, that's, that's them, man. God's done with me. You don't know where I'm at, what I've done. And you don't know what's going on with me. Like, that's, that's in the past. I remember, I'm going to finish on this. I remember being 15 years of age, being a hot mess. God coming into my life, asking me to kind of follow him. Crazy stuff had happened. I was so overwhelmed by his forgiveness, his love, and the power of his spirit in my life that for two years, all I ever really prayed was, this is amazing. This is great. I want to live my life for you. I'm done with anything else. I don't want to go with uni. I don't want to do any of this stuff. This is just me. I love you. I want to do something for you. And for two years, I pretty much prayed that excited in my bedroom every day. Like, this is so cool, man. I can't believe this. This is awesome. You've lifted all this pain, all this hurt, all this mess from my life, and you're doing something new. But God, what are we going to fill it with? What are we going to do with my life? Where am I going to go now? And then God said to me when I was 17 years of age, I'll never forget it. I was in my, in, my, in my bedroom and I was having a time of prayer and I was saying the same thing I always said. And he said, I want you to plant a church. And I remember I'd left school after GCSEs and gone to Bible college and I was told we wouldn't have you on this course because you're too young, you can't be on this course. And then the principal heard from God, made an exception and allowed me on the course. I did this one year Bible college course and then I lived every day like I was ready to plant this church. I would make my parents drive to random parts of the country Take a look around, God. We're going to plant this church here. This is going to move. It's where it's at. And God never said go. He never said go. And I was ready. And I was up for it. Like I wasn't even in my twenties. And I'm like, I'm wanting to plant a church. I'm, I'm cranked up. I'm on this. I'm on this. And then time passed, and I started to get a bit bored. And I was like, man, nothing's really happening. He hasn't really said I could go. I started to be like, mm, well, maybe this isn't. Maybe this isn't that. This isn't that. And then this girl came into my life. My life got into a hot mess. And I started having an inappropriate relationship with this girl. She ended it with me. She left me. And then I was just suicidal. I was a complete hot mess. I nearly killed myself at Stanley train station. And God just came and spoke to me, reminded me that I was a promise from him. And I started walking back up that hill and started, God started healing my life. And I got involved in a few different jobs. And then one day I became this youth pastor. This guy walked into my shop, a retail shop, and said, 
like started chatting to me about God and stuff. We started having this conversation. He's like, man, I want you to, I want you to come and be the youth worker. I quit that job and I went straight to his church as a youth worker. And I'm in a Sunday morning service exactly like this, except in a cinema. So it's still in a weird place. And um, we're in the cinema and we're having this time of worship. And I'm, I'm, I've still got this idea in my head that God um, tolerates me, but he doesn't accept me. And that God doesn't want to do what he said he wanted to do anymore because I'm a waste man. And so I'm going through all that in my head and that's, that's fine and I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm married to Jody now. Jody does not know God ever called me to plant a church at this point. And the reason she doesn't know is because I didn't believe it anymore. I felt God's done with me. He's just going to tolerate me. And then this woman in this church comes up to the side of me and just starts talking to me in the middle of the worship. And I'm like, I'm trying to worship God, lady. Like, back off. And she's, she's a really cool woman though and she just starts prophesying this stuff. And I'm like, that makes no sense. Thanks, great. That's cool. I didn't say that. Just, Thank you, cool. She walked away. And then I carried on worshiping like, wow, that was a load of hot air. What the hell was that about? Then she comes back over to me. And she said, oh man, God just said, I totally didn't say that right. I'm thinking, you're telling me. And then she goes, um, God basically says, he's not done with you. And what he said he was going to do, he's still going to do it. And the plan is still the plan. And I'm sitting in this service and this word from God has just ruined my life. I'm finally okay with where I am. I'm at peace with being a waste man. I'm cool with it. I'm running with it. I'm down. I'm comfortable. This is great. I'm loving this church. I'm loving the young people I'm working with. We've got a plan. We're in a cinema. This is awesome. And then she says that. And then she hands me this piece of paper. And I I should have brought it this Sunday. I'll bring it next Sunday. Um, I know roughly where it is at home. I couldn't find it this morning. This envelope, it says Change Our World. That's the name of their offering they do once a year. The Change Our World offering. And she scribbled on the back a note that would change my world. And she gave it to me. And I read it. And I was like, this makes no sense whatsoever. Years later, or a year later passes, and God is telling me, I want you to plant a church again. He's, he's speaking it back into my life. And I'm like, oh man, God, will you just please go away? Like, call someone else. Like, I don't want to be doing this stuff. And then stuff is happening with the church, and then there comes this moment, and I'm like, that's it, I'm quitting my job. We're going to start this church. I'm leaving here, and we're moving back to my parents' house to do it. Worst, horriblest, darkest, but most excited time, the worst time, best of times. And then I'm struggling because... There's a person, a leadership position over me that's saying, this isn't God's will for your life. This is God's will for your life, and you need to do this. And I'm like, oh, man, but I feel God is saying something. He's like, nope, nope, I've heard God says this. And then Jody sees me in such turmoil because I'm being pressurized to go into something I don't believe is of God. They want me to commit to for a year, and I'm like, this isn't God, and I'm struggling, and I'm on my own, and everyone's there, and I can't tell anyone about my struggle because I can't cause problems in a church. So I have to keep it to myself, and I'm, 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 I'm hurting. And then Jody goes... Oh yeah, look at this. I found this the other day. And at this point, I'm believing we're going to plant a church. And God had been speaking about Matthew 5.14. A city in a hill cannot be hidden. And she gives me this piece of paper. And as I open this piece of paper, this, this, this envelope, Change Our World Offering, it's got written on there, I see you holding an Olympic torch. And this is what you're going to be known for. And this is what you're going to spend your life doing. And this is what people will know you for. And I remember reading that. And I was like, that's it. Sit on a hill. It's about positioning the light that God gives you strategically that people can see who God is. And that's why we're going to meet here at Metro in a place where people wouldn't come to church. They could come here. And, and, and that's how, how that came about. And that's how that was spoken to me. And the reason the Olympic torch mattered, I knew I was never going to touch an Olympic torch. And I've still never touched an Olympic torch. I've watched it go past thinking, is the guy going to randomly go, here, son? You know what I mean? <laughs> Didn't happen. The guy goes straight past. Didn't care. I wasn't bothered. Why that mattered was... All this mess was happening while someone's saying to me, it's God's will for you to do this for a year. And I'm saying, I feel God's called me to do this. And it's 2012. 
And I know that that is the year, Olympic year. I'm stepping out to hold and carry a light that God wants me to position in a different place that people can come and can encounter God's goodness. And so in the midst of all this turmoil, stepping out and doing that. And I can tell you, that then at that moment, do you think everything fell into place? No, we had no money to start a church. God told us don't start in a home, start in a rented place. Man, I... Two churches end up giving and partnering, giving us money. And even then, do you think it all went plain sailing? No. Nowhere in Clapham Common would have us. They wouldn't return my calls. They wouldn't return my emails. I walked into venues. They looked at me. I'm like, you've got a space upstairs, man. You don't need it. You don't even use it on a Sunday. You don't even have it open. We could use there. He's like, no, I don't want a church here. Oh, damn. Like, I could give you more money. No, I don't want it here. Then we had one, and the guy was like, yeah, we'll have you. He went bankrupt. Business closed down. I find him up on the Sunday, I'm ready to go. He's like, ah, oh, bruv, unless you want to buy the lease for 25,000. What? I don't have 25,000 pounds? It, it happens. And then this place, I'm giving up on life. I don't want to do church anymore. I'm, I'm done with the vision. God, you've royally screwed up my life. I'm back home at my parents' house for nothing. No one wants to give me a venue. No one wants to let me in. I can't even hold a first church service with no people. I only have me and my wife. I've got no people and I've got no venue. I'll tell you where you can go shove this and the amount of money. I think we had two grand. Do you know what? I've chatted. I know a guy who started a church with half a million pound budget for five years and that church doesn't exist anymore. They got to 100 people and it doesn't exist anymore. And there's us with like 2,000 pounds going to meet in a rented venue with no people. Jeez. It's the worst idea ever. And then do you know what happens? I wake up this morning. I'm done. I don't want to talk about it anymore. No one wants to talk to me. And Jody says... God told me this morning when I was praying, you need to get up today because you're going to phone somewhere and they're going to, they're going to, you're going to have a venue. And I'm like, oh man, that's not happening. I get out of bed. Uh, I get in touch. I send an email out, a few to about five places. And then I check my phone. There's a missed call and a voicemail. I pick it up. It's Fran. She's like, we're crazy. We love a bit of crazy. That sounds crazy. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, cool. And then we do that, but she thinks we want to do it once. I want to do it every week. So we do one week, and then it's not open the next week. And I'm like, uh, Fran, um, church, I want to do it every Sunday. Oh, you want to do it every Sunday? <laughs> oh, man, let me tell you. And that's not even the hard stuff that happened here. That's not even the painful stuff. I haven't got time to tell you guys the painful stuff. I really haven't. The amount of times I wanted to tap out, the amount of times I wanted to give in. But here's what I know. Here's an inheritance that transcends these things. And you know what? Along the way, there have been moments that have been totally worth it. There are two people I'm going to tell you about, not their names. One person came here. I can't remember what I was talking about. I, I was not talking about paraphernalia in any way. And this person came to me and they're like, oh man, I've got, a, I've got an addiction. I've got a drug addiction. Oh, okay. And when you said that, I knew that's it. I need to be free. And like, they're not a Christian. They're like, God's going to set me free. And I'm like, yeah, he is. And I'm thinking, no, he's probably not. I'm, I'm screwed. And then you know what? That person came here for a while, for months, 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 and then they stopped coming here. And then I'm walking about near work, and I bump into this person again, and they, they, they pull out this coin. And they show me this coin, I'm like, great, there's a coin. Like, what is this? Like, one coin to rule them all, but like a ring, but a coin? They're like, oh, this coin represents that I've been clean for like uh, six months. I was like, wow, that's awesome. She goes, oh no, I'm still clean. I've been clean all that time from when you had that conversation, you spoke that word, and we prayed together, and I'm still clean now. And then all the suffering, all the crap that's gone on, and they're just like, oh, it's totally worth it. And then there's one person who was like, they came here, they were done with Christianity. They didn't want to do Christianity anymore. Didn't want to do it anymore. Done. Came here, fell in love with Jesus again, and then left. They're like, I want to go deeper. 
And I was like, great, there's these opportunities here to go deeper. And they're like, no, 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 I want to go deeper. And what it meant was she wanted a more traditional church. And I was like, fantastic, go somewhere else. We're never going to be that. So sorry, but you're going to have an amazing time. But they're doing great things in Christ now. They're not here anymore, but that's not what I care about. I'm not here to chain people up. No one's pegged down. I'm here to see people set free and, and, and live a life with Jesus. Because you know what? Give me the lost as my inheritance. I'll take that all day. Give me the broken, I'll take that all day. Give me someone who can talk positively about this church that may never come back again or may come back again. I don't care. They're clean. And that's what Jesus does. And so when I look back and I look at every inconvenience and living in my parents' house, feeling emasculated, having my, my child born there and not having a home for them, feeling like I'm a rubbish dad and a rubbish man, I don't care. Because you know what? Olympic medals, Olympic torch, forget it. I've got them and I wear them around my neck with pride because I know God called me. But here's the thing. God's calling you. And I'm going to end on this one single note. It starts with Abraham. And he says, I'm going to bless you. And through that blessing, you're going to bless the nations. And what we're going to do today, I didn't know we we're going to have worship, so I made an extra long talk. So I apologize for that. But what we're going to do today is we're going to pray for one another. Because at City Hill, we don't have a prayer team. We pray for one another. If they're a fruitcake and they pray for you, just forget what they say and move on with your life. You know, it doesn't really matter. And if that's me that's praying for you, you can do that to me. I don't care. We're just going to pray for one another. If you don't want to be prayed for, just say you don't want to be prayed for. No one's going to flip and attack you. Just pray a blessing over someone's life, knowing that that blessing doesn't stop there and it's going to flow out to the nations. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to do that together as a collective. Father God, I thank you that you put out one blessing upon Abraham and it just shut down the family line. And Abraham could never have dreamt where it would have led. The salvation of nations that were starving, the enslavery of his people, and miraculously set free, and all that happened after it. And he had no idea that actually he was looking for a city and a place whose maker was God, and that the promise in Revelation is that city is coming here to earth, and it will be here forever, and it will be never fading, and that none of the pain and the height we go through to be a blessing uh, we'll never have to go for that pain anymore and this blessing will be perpetual and consistent for all eternity not just in longevity but in its quality Father would you pour out your spirit on us today would you bless us that we would be a blessing and that as we pray for one another today that blessing would flow out in Jesus name Amen